0: All right, I think that's all that I had to share with you today. Um, if you've got a phone, you can follow along on you version. If you don't, if you've got a Bible, we are primarily going to be in Matthew chapter 25. Um, we're starting a new series called Parables. I've been looking forward to this series for quite a while. It's very different than what we've been talking about over the last over a year. We've been kind of in a similar vein, but we're kind of backing up here, and we're not going lightweight. If you're here thinking, oh, parables, fun stories in the Bible, I'm going to tell you if you read the parables and study them, they are not fun stories. They are intense stories. If you read them and you go, oh, that's a fun story, you probably have missed the point of the parable. All right? So. Uh, you're going to have to kind of buckle your seatbelts because we're going to be hitting some of these hard. And today, I'm gonna, we're going to cover one today, and then I want to talk to you a little bit about why Jesus spoke in parables and why that is important for you and for me, why he chose this way. That in and of itself demonstrates and teaches us something about following him that we have to truly grasp in order to walk with him well. And uh, as we go through, I, you know, as I think about the lessons of Jesus, if if you are not on a reading plan and I I know some of you are with me on version and we kind of see what each other's doing and I read your reading plans and you like do three reading plans at a time and I, I can't do that. Maybe once I used to be able to do that, but it's hard for me to hold one, you know, coherent thought most of the time. To hold two or three at the same time, I can't really do that. But if you're not on a reading plan, you know what a great reading plan to do is? You don't even need to go on U version. Uh, you don't have to do anything special. Go out and buy a book. Is to start in Matthew and go through the Gospels and read everything in red. Just decide, I'm going to skip all the black stuff. I'm just going to read the red stuff. And if you will read all of the words of Jesus, because when script most of your Bibles, not all, some translations don't use red uh, text, but most of your versions of Scripture translations will highlight the words attributed to Jesus in red. If you will read his words, it will change your life. Because Jesus did not mix words. We mix words. We at times apologize for Jesus' words because we feel like he's being a little too direct, a little too tough, a little too hard on people. But if you will go through and just read the letters in red, you can do it. Uh, It will change the way you understand Jesus and what it looks like to follow him. His parables, similarly, are very indirect messages, but once you get to the core of what he's trying to communicate, it cuts straight to the core all of Jesus' word has had an edge to them. They all were meant to force a person to make a decision between one choice and another. And in fact, when, when we in our, our church culture, we constantly feel the, the pressure, all churches feel the pressure to be growing. We have the pressure to, to, for our programs to grow and to see so our youth program grow and our children's program grow and our worship attendance grow. There's a pressure because something in us says that means we're doing something right. Jesus didn't really take that approach. In fact, as more people come, the more direct he got so they would leave. It was really kind of an amazing thing. Jesus never tried to get people to come to something. He was like, so you're here. Okay, well, if you're here, let me tell you something. And then he'd be like, Where'd they go? Where'd they go? And at one point, even turning to his own disciples and saying, Are you leaving too? So Jesus' words are incredibly direct, but parables are a little bit different. There's a different purpose in those. And, you know, as I was thinking about the, the parables, it's kind of like parenting. When your kids are little, they're kind of growing, and, and you know, they, they really don't have a grasp of the world. Most all of your lessons are direct, right? You don't hint at the fact that they need to go clean their room, do you? I mean, if you need them to go clean your room, what do you say? Go clean your room. I mean, that's pretty direct right like now. And then, you know, I'm taking my belt off if you don't, you know, don't get mad at me for saying that. But, you know, I'm taking my belt off if, you know, you don't go clean your room. So you're very direct when they're younger, all right? I don't, we don't hit our kids with a belt, so don't, don't send me emails or send CPS to our house. We don't do that. But, uh, but you're direct. But also, as they grow older, our lessons become more indirect. And the reason for that is because if we just are constantly through adulthood saying, this is what I want you to do We never allow them to grow and develop into their own person, and they're just obeying us all the time, which I don't know what your experience is. My experience in being a teenager was that that didn't work well for me. I was not a very obedient teenage child. So if you are not, you should do better about that, better than I did. As they get older, a lot of the things we try to teach, we try to communicate in different ways. We hint, we give examples, we demonstrate. We don't necessarily just go straight to the core. Instead, we expect them to do some of the work of figuring this out because they ultimately have to figure it out themselves if they are going to embrace it as theirs. If they're just doing what mom and dad says, that's not a good way to live life because as soon as they get out the door, you're not going to be there telling them how to live their lives. They've got to figure out how to make good decisions in the world and this is one of the ways that they do it. Similarly, Jesus in the beginning in opening conversations was very direct. He got right to the point. But for those that kept pressing in and wanting to know more, He became more and more vague. He began telling stories, and the message was in the story. But if you weren't really committed to knowing what Jesus was saying, you would just stick with what's right on the surface of the story. Oh, that's an interesting story. I, I, I love to plant tomatoes. I love his story of the sower. It's about planting tomatoes. No, it's really not about planting tomatoes. And if that's all you get out of it, then you've missed the point. And we'll get to this in a minute, but that's kind of why. Because when we get to the parables, Jesus only meant those for those who were serious about following him. Everyone else would go, oh, that's a neat story, that's interesting, I can relate to that. But they will miss the deeper point he was trying to make. So there's a ton of parables in Scripture and as we look through those, there's literally over 40 that we could go through. and We're not going to do all, all of the parables that we can find, but we're going to go through several. But we're going to begin with one of his most difficult ones today. Because Jesus, in being direct, his choice was to force people to decide, do I really love and want to follow him or not? He intended to literally turn the world upside down. Now, what's so interesting about Jesus' approach is that you could read all about him and completely miss that point. You could know a lot about Jesus, know a lot of stories about Jesus, and miss how subversive the gospel is to the world. Jesus' goal was not to entertain. It was not just to get people... Out of this world and into heaven one day, it was literally to change what was happening in the world. When we look at his teachings. We look at some of the things that he said. They were not feel-good things. Now, Jesus was, uh, uh, Jesus was a, a great uh, teacher and a prophet and a great man of compassion and love and grace and mercy. But he also said things like, you need to leave your father and mother if you are going to follow me. You've got to love me more than them. He also said things like, you need to pick up your cross, and you need to follow me. Jesus was direct whenever he said, if you want to save your life, you have to die to yourself. And he would say these things that don't feel very loving, they don't feel very fun, they don't feel very exciting. And if you're looking to add something wholesome to your life, but not replace your whole life, then we can't really... Accept all of his teachings. Jesus goes so far, to say, some people that even call him their Savior, and one day they are going to come before him, and he's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. So we like the stories of Jesus with the children on his leg, and he's saying, oh, bring the children to me. We love those stories, but when we really get into the deeper teachings of Jesus, they were subversive to a culture that would embrace religion but reject him. And so as we go through these, some of these may touch you more dramatically than others. And some of, some of these, you know, you may think, oh, that's interesting. I don't know if I've really thought about that. But wherever it is throughout the parables, what I want you to do is to look deeper and deeper, not just inside of what did he mean, but what does that mean for you? The literal definition of parable comes from the Greek word paraboleo, and it means comparison, illustration, analogy. We often describe it as simple stories to communicate a timeless or a spiritual lesson. It was always used to talk about a spiritual lesson, but now the word parable is kind of skipping out of the Christian vernacular and is now being used in other places to talk about modern-day parables and things like that outside of spiritual truths. But primarily it's been used to describe simple stories that convey a deeper meaning. So as we go through this, we're going to begin with Matthew chapter 25. Because if we're going to understand most of his important lessons and why he spoke in parables at all, we have to understand this parable that we find beginning with verse 31. Jesus didn't just talk about eternal life in heaven. He also spoke about what's going to happen when he returns because he promised, I will be back. Matthew 25, 31 says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory... And all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Now, what we can take just from this setup of the parable, of this time when Jesus is going to return, and we all fall into the categories of sheep and goats, because that's the way I see myself, right? You wake up in the morning, look in the mirror, and go, I think I'm a goat today. I've never thought that. Maybe you have thought that. Maybe you have thought that about somebody else. You are a goat today, and uh, some of you, you know, Jonathan likes to tell us he's the goat. Not the same thing. (laughs) Not the same thing, Um, and But as we look, Jesus is literally saying, you're going to fall into one of two camps. No hybrids here. There's not going to be any interbreeding here. There's not going to be some sheep goats and goat sheeps. There's going to be sheep and there's going to be goats. But what we see is that one day Jesus is going to return in all of his glory. He is returning in his glory and he is bringing his angels not only to rule but judge all of humanity. Now, in our culture, judgment is looked upon as very negative. The only people who like judgment are the people who like to put themselves in the seat of judge, amen? Nobody else likes it. I don't like to be judged. You don't like to be judged. I don't like anybody to tell me I'm not doing something right. I like to think I'm doing everything right. Otherwise, I would not be doing it. But the truth is, that is not the reality in which we have been born in, in which we have been called. Jesus is returning. He's returning with his angels, which is an important distinction. And he is coming to judge. We all fall into the camp of we're either sheep or we're goats. Now, when you're talking about authority and you're talking about kings and crowns and emperors and pharaohs, the fact that he separates one on the right, that's my left, your right, and one you know what I you know what I'm trying. And directionally challenged when I'm facing you, that's right. On the right was the place of honor. You've done something right, you've done something good, I want to honor you, I am pleased with you. Come to be on my right. If you're on the left, that is not a good place to be. Because that means something's gone wrong. You are not in a place of honor. You are likely in a place of judgment. And so he says, and this time he's going to separate the sheep from the goats, which means you are one or the other. You are a sheep or you are a goat. In in Matthew 25, we go back to verse 34 and we pick it up. This is very interesting because some of you grew up in a religious system that said to honor Christ and to be seen as a good Christian does not fit into this characterization in which Jesus is giving. Basically, you probably grew up in a system that said you don't ever mess up. Who grew up in that kind of a system? Yeah, I never did well in that kind of a system. If I'm not allowed to mess up, I don't really know what to do because I'm really good at messing up. (laughs) Much of my learning is not proactive, it's reactive. I have messed up and I try to learn a lesson from it, and then there are some lessons I just struggle to learn, you know? But a lot of us grew up in the system that in order to honor Christ and in order to please Him and in order to have a relationship with Him, it means that you need to get cleaned up, you need to look like you have your act together, and you need to do all the right things. But interestingly enough, when Jesus talks about the separation of the sheep and the goats, he doesn't say any of that. He doesn't say anything about what you're doing within the church. He doesn't say anything about what you're doing in the rest of your life. He doesn't say anything about how much sin you struggle with, how much temptation you deal with. Interestingly enough, that is not what Jesus says. The sheep are where they're at because of the way they live their lives in ministering to him. That's an incredible thought. It's an incredible statement, especially if you come from a very strict fundamental background because that's completely opposite of what you have been told. Now, the thing about the sheep and the goats, and it's interesting that he chooses the the illustration of a sheep many times and that those who would lead the church as the shepherds leading the sheep is that if you ever herded goats and sheep, they are very different experiences. Has anyone in here done that? Has anyone in here ever herded sheep or goats? My father-in-law, he, he will at different times have different animals, and he's had some goats and different things. And I tell you, I do not like goats. I mean, I like to watch them when they're antagonizing someone else. I love those videos of mean goats. Just Google mean goat, and you'll find a lot. I tried to get one, but I couldn't pick one that I really liked. But Google mean goats and you'll just, it's fun to watch them kind of, you know, butt up to somebody and uh, hit a car or whatever. Goats are not enjoyable creatures to have. And I don't know what the deal is right now, but now all of a sudden there's like these miniature goats. Have y'all seen all this? Everybody's buying these miniature goats to have in their house. And I think you are absolutely nuts. Because little miniature goats grow up. And the more they grow up, the more ornery they get. Goats were not something that you really loved to uh, to have they didn't bring a great profit to you although they did serve a purpose sheep on the other hand did all kinds of things for you you could make clothes out of sheep you could make all kinds of fabrics and thread out of sheep you could use them for food if you needed to but they had all kind you could eat goats too I remember one time I we went to Jamaica and they have a lot of goats in Jamaica and we went to Burger King cuz we had eaten all of the indigenous foods for a long time and the 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 burgers at Burger King in Jamaica were made out of goat. I was like I can't eat this. I cannot eat this. And you know, you know how thick a you know how thick a Burger King burger is? It was pink on the inside. I was like I did not want a medium rare goat burger from Burger King. But you know, you can eat a goat. It's not advisable, but you can. I'm a Pramper princess. I get Oh, man. I walked right into that. Walked right into that. Um, But sheep also do have the unique characteristic of being willing to be led. Which is where much of the illustration of why we are compared to sheep if we are His children, if we are following Him, if He is our Savior, is because... Sheep need to be led. This is one of the reasons that so many people reject Christ. It's not because they reject heaven. It's not because they reject the need for something more in their life. What they're rejecting is that submitting to the place of following rather than being the leader. Because we all at our core want to be the leader. We want to be in charge. We want to be the one that gets what we want. We want to orchestrate and figure out how to make the world the way we want it to be but a sheep doesn't do that a sheep follows its shepherd and Jesus says I think it's so interesting the description of what it looks like for this group of people that are described as sheep they feed the hungry they give relief to the thirsty they welcome the The stranger, clothe the poor, care for the sick, they visit the captives. You know, as we look through this, this is not a laundry list of things that you need to now go do. The point of the parable is not... You know what? Now, here are the things that make you a good Christian. Now, go and do these things. That is not the point of the parable. The point of the parable is when you know Jesus, these are the activities that you begin to do. Now, interesting as we continue in looking through the story, which, by the way, Luke 4, one of my favorite passages that Jesus. Uh, is speaking, says something very similar when we try to understand what does it look like to follow and know Christ. It says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus said, it is for this purpose that I have come to reach out to people that are in distress and in need. We get an interesting response because in this parable apparently people are kind of a part of this and watching and the sheep kind of pipe up and ask a question. The righteous will answer him saying, Lord... When did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer him, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of my brothers, you did it to me. Which I just find fascinating. And the more I spend time... In this parable, the more fascinating I find it. One of the things I think is so interesting, and I just, I know this is true because I see it over and over again. Have you ever known somebody who likes to tell you all the good stuff they do? Aren't they fun? Aren't they enjoyable people? Because isn't there always a hint right on the other side of that that you are not as good as they are? Every time somebody wants to come up and tell me all the good things they're doing, I, I just, I kind of go, Step back a minute. And I think it's really when Jesus is talking about the Pharisees, when he says, you know, you kind of get your reward when you talk about how good you are. Your reward is that people look at you and go, oh, you seem to be a good person. And yet there's a greater reward in which Jesus looks down and says, well done, my good and faithful servant, come be with me for all of eternity. That's a greater reward. And some of the people I find are the most giving, the most Godly people are the people that wear it the least on their sleeves. When you come out here and you want to let everybody know how good a Christian you are and how much you do and all of that, I, I, you, you've already lost everybody around you. You've already lost them. And I find it interesting that in this parable, Jesus recognizes this because this group is like, uh, thanks. When did we do that? I think that's fascinating. That those who are the righteous have accepted a way of life and they don't even realize it. They don't even realize it. This is what I think is one of the crucial differences in Christianity today and following Christ in that day. Because we make so much of it about effort and rules, and we've got to be the right kind of person, and we got to do the right kinds of things, and we got to make sure we don't do all the wrong kinds of things, and then we try to live our lives that way, and some of those people are going to get in front of Jesus. He's going to say, "Hey, I never knew you, but I went to church all the time, and I was working hard on this stuff all the time. I mean, these other people weren't doing the things that I was doing. I was there, and What we find in this parable is it's not so much about what you have committed to do as much as how much your heart has been transformed. And we begin to understand that the gospel is not meant to be a new bunch of rules for you to follow, but instead was meant to transform you from the inside out. Then we look at this parable and we say, those that know Christ have been changed so much that they don't even recognize how much they are doing for him. It's an incredibly challenging parable. And it makes me think, am I a sheep? Because I always put myself in the category of sheep, right? I don't ever go, yeah, I'm a goat. I'm a goat. I don't ever do that. But when I read this parable, I go, I think, I think I might be a goat. See the words of Jesus, man, they penetrate. They penetrate to the core. Jesus was never content to simply say, you know what, good good try. Good try, don't worry about it, no big deal. We do that because we have the sense that if this is too hard, we'll push people away. If I make this too intense, people will think I'm a little weird. And the reality is, is that people did think Jesus was weird. Even worse, they thought he was dangerous and he needed to die because of it. So, Jesus, when when did we do that? And then what I also find incredibly interesting in this parable is he said, When you have done it to any of my brothers, you have done this unto me. Which, I have not always understood this parable in the same way. We we look at the least of these mentality and we always think it's just somebody in need. If you see anybody in need, you are obligated to go meet whatever need they perceive that they have. That is really not what Jesus is saying here. He's not saying that because you take care of everyone that's in need. If we read through scripture, who are the brothers and by association sisters of Christ? Who are they? They're other believers. Now this brings us then to another kind of moral quandary because one of the things we try to do as a church is reach out to people outside these walls and if you're in need and if you're hurting, we want to be there for you and we want to break down any obstacles that you have in knowing Christ. We want you to experience the fullness of knowing him and being transformed by him and yet what Jesus is saying here is not so much that you're supposed to go do this everywhere else, you're supposed to do this within the body of the church. And so every time you do this to someone who is in the church, it is just as if you are doing it for me, which the reason I I think that is so amazing is because Jesus not only says, if you follow me, if you love me, then you are my brother or my sister. That is amazing in and of itself that we are part of the family of God. But then to go on to say, whatever you do to each other as if you did it for me, that is an amazing, an amazing thing. So does that mean that if we properly understand this parable, to all those outside of the church, we say, see ya. <laughs> You're not in. You're not in my group. I-, I got a bunch of people I'm caring for. You're not in my group. I'm not caring for you. Because the church has been guilty of that. Where we have said, you know what? We're going to take care of our own. If you're not one of us, you're not welcome. That was never Jesus' response. The same Jesus who said, depart from me, I never knew you, also sat down with a Samaritan woman and told her, you know what, today you can be healed of all of this. Go and sin no more. He also came to the rescue of a woman who was caught in adultery, and he stopped the masses from stoning her. It was amazing how Jesus managed this tension between grace, love, and mercy, and accountability. He managed it way better than we do. What we have a tendency to do in the church is move towards the grace, love, and mercy stuff because most people don't get upset about that. Most people don't get upset. If I'm just saying to you, you know what, no big deal about everything, about everything, no accountability, you probably will never get upset with me, but you should because once you get stuck in that way of living life, it does not bring any rewards, only pain. It's one of the reasons we have to constantly be in tension between what is true and real and just and also what is loving and compassionate and merciful. It's a tension that we all have to find, and you're going to see throughout our study of the parables, you're going to see that there's, that tension is not always easy to resolve within us. But it also points to the picture in which Jesus said, we're not necessarily going to win people into the kingdom by meeting their every need. Because then they fall in love with us and not with Christ. But what he says is, by the way that you are loving each other, it is going to be so subversive to the way that the culture loves itself that they will be drawn to Christ. And so in this, Jesus takes the common thinking of what it means to love others, and he turns it on its ear. And it takes what we do for each other and puts it on a pedestal, not just for what it does for us, but what it demonstrates to the rest of the world, because they are not used to that. I think one of the mistakes that we've made throughout the years, and gosh, Throughout our ten years as a church, we've made so many mistakes. We, I, I, there's so many. We could write a book on what not to do. But there have been times that we have tried to be everything for people who are hurting, and they've become dependent upon us, and their lives have never changed. What good has become becoming dependent on us done them? It's a tart. It's a hard tension, isn't it? You have family members and friends that meet this category they don't know Christ, their life's a mess, they're constantly in need, and you're trying to figure out how do I meet your need, and at first you get all gung-ho and excited, and then as time goes by, you begin to think, uh, more? (laughs) Then you begin to ask yourself, is this doing any good? And you're not sure what to do with that, because the answer is not that we as the church meet their needs, and so they become devoted to us. The answer is that Christ meets their deepest needs, and they become devoted to Him. But what Jesus says is that people will see that by the way you treat each other. So we do have sheep. We do have goats, the sheep, it's fun to talk about the sheep, but, but we do have goats as well. Verse 41, it says, "Then he will say to those on his left, "Depart from me, you cursed." into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Not very feel-good, loving, graceful, merciful, compassionate. You're going to go burn in hell with the devil and his demons. <laughs> this is where Jesus gets direct. And this, I, he does this time and time again. He kind of brings you into this, oh, love, peace, love, yes. Oh, wonderful. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Or you're going to hell. <laughs> what? And that's when the crowd begins to leave, Right? Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer, saying, Lord. Right? Now he's Lord. Not then, not before, but now. Now that the punishment's here, now that the choice has been made, now it's time that the judgment is about to happen, Lord! And Jesus takes a turn and gets super uncomfortable again. Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Now, these are the people that love technicalities, right? Technically, Jesus, I, I didn't disobey. I just never saw you in that situation. I hate technicalities. I, I'm way more excited about people who just, just take it, right? I don't, I don't kind of try to figure out how really my failure is not my failure. I really didn't fail. It was really somebody else's failure. It wasn't me. Jesus does not deal with, in technicalities. We're not going to go up in a court and have a, a defense attorney and we're going to we're going to argue semantics. Well, God, I have been I have been reading the new international version and in the new international version, I think you could agree with me that the translation could go either way, so I should not be held to this standard or whatever version you want to put in there, the message or the New American Standard or the King James or whatever. Throw whatever you want in there. I'm not trying to say anything bad about the niv but god does not deal in technicalities you're either in or you're not in this in and of itself is one of the most difficult parts of sharing the gospel with people in a world that's dying is because what we want to do is say oh come on do your best it's okay you screwed up no big deal and while there is much grace and compassion in the kingdom of god At the end of the day, there are no technicalities. We are either in or we are out. And what Scripture tells us is some people who are goats think they are sheep. That scares me to death. That scares me to death. Paul himself said, I'm preaching this gospel and I'm doing everything I can because at the end of all of this, I don't want to have preached this incredible gospel and then miss it myself. These are hard teachings of Jesus. Then, verse 45, he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me, and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Again, oh Jesus, did you have to say that? (laughs) We could really get more people involved in the church if we took that verse out let's just not talk about eternal punishment let's just ignore that Let's all focus on eternal life let's not really say about this other stuff and which is by and large what we as a culture have done we have removed punishment from the gospel because it is offensive and it's hurtful And it makes people walk away, and people we love reject the message, and we do not want the people we love to reject the message. But yet Jesus always communicated this part of the message. There is a judgment coming. We are not going to be able to argue semantics to get us out of the coming judgment if we have not been transformed Either we are or we're not. This is one of the hardest realities to accept in the world today. And it's the reason why many people say Jesus or God is not loving. Because a loving God wouldn't even have this possibility. As we look through this, some of the things I think we can learn and take from this, and then I want to close out by just Showing how through this parable we see why Jesus spoke in parables. Some of the things we can take from this one, the consequences of our response to Jesus is eternal. There are consequences for the way we respond to Him, they are eternal. There is a time that we are going to want for for Him to forgive us and to be our Savior, but it will be too late. Scripture tells us that one day every single person will bow before Christ, but it will still be too late. That's not popular teaching. In fact, we've got some really well-known teachers who say, oh, there is no hell. But if you read the Bible, you can't come to that conclusion. The consequences of our response to Jesus is eternal. A second thing that we can take from this and I think is it is maybe not low-lying fruit, but it's not too terribly difficult. But it is something that kind of spits in the face of a lot of conventional thinking today. What you believe is not as important as how your beliefs propel you to live. What you believe is not as important is how what you believe propels you to live. What I mean by that is this. If you're driving in a car down the road... And you think it's possible that the bridge is out, but you keep on going and you never slow down, you may believe it may be out, but it doesn't change any way that you're responding. If you believe the bridge is out and you're driving down the road, you stop because the bridge is out. The what we believe should propel us in the way that we live. It is not simply about holding a belief. For many of us, the gospel has come down to a set of beliefs, and we say, You just need to believe this. But there's a problem with that, isn't there? Because who else believes? The demons, the fallen angels, Satan, the enemy. It, he believes. And so when we take the gospel and we boil it down to just beliefs, what Jesus is saying in this parable is, listen, if you really believe it, it will change the way you live. But just because you believe it doesn't change anything. Because there's a lot of people that believe it that are headed to hell. So there's a bridge that gets from where you are to Christ. Belief is just part of it. It is not the whole bridge. One of the things that we find when you begin to follow Christ is there... There are really three key things. I, I, I'm, I'm constantly adjusting this, but for me right now, there are three key things that lead to a true relationship with Christ. Belief is one. You have to believe the right things about Christ. All right? That's why Scripture says that the feet of those who share the, the gospel are, are beautiful because they're, giving the, they're showing people what they should believe. The second thing is more difficult, and that is submission, humility. Because in submission, that's where we take back our role in being in charge, and we say, That is your role, and I give this to you. That's what's important. And we give that relationship to Him. We give the direction of our lives to Him. We give how we spend our time during the day to Him. We give the, the use of our finances and our resources to Him. We give our children to Him. We give all that we are to Him. If He asks us to do something, we do it. If He calls us to go somewhere, we go. If He says it's time to change something about yourself, then we work to change that about yourself. It's a submission that says you are in charge I am not. I will follow you. But the third one is just simply this, and you cannot get away from it. It's just simple obedience. It's not just, I just all of a sudden want to do all these things. There are things I read in Scripture, and I do not want to do it. But when I submit to Him, and I believe the things about Him are true, there comes a time you just got to obey. And in that, our heart is transformed over time, and for some, on the spot. For me, the thing that led me to a radical transformation in my relationship with Him was absolute submission. I gave up. I tried to do it my own, I gave up. So what you believe is not as important as how your beliefs repel you to live. Some of you think, well, I, you know, let's not get into this social justice stuff. It's not really about how you live. Do you know why Sodom was destroyed? You've been told it was for sexual immorality or homosexuality or I don't know, whatever list of things have been gone. Do you know that is not why God destroyed Sodom? I mean, some preachers will go so far as to say, well, because of homosexuality in our country, God's going to destroy us like Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, I do think God could destroy us just like Sodom and Gomorrah for the exact same reason He destroyed Sodom. Did you know that? Scripture tells us why He did it. It's found in Ezekiel chapter 16. It says, as I live, declares the Lord God, your sister Sodom and her daughters have not done as you and your daughters have done. Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and needy. They were haughty and did an abomination before me, so I removed them when I saw it. If that doesn't convict you about the way you live your life, oh my gosh, you need to read it again. They were destroyed not because of sexual immorality. They were destroyed because God had given them everything to love others well, and they kept it for themselves. I don't throw a wrench in your understanding of Sodom and Gomorrah. See, the way our beliefs propel us is important. I'm running out of time here. I'm out of time. Three, Jesus demonstrated that loving each other is crucial to demonstrating our love for God. You cannot love God and not other people. Because as we love God, he shows us how to love other people, which is some people are harder than others, I'll admit. But when we begin to understand that God loves us and we are hard to love, then it makes it easier for us to love those who are difficult to love. Number four, this is where it gets even more difficult. We have a limited amount of time to choose who we give our lives to. The time will come when there will be no more time for decisions. We will be before Him. The judgment will happen. Now, why do I think this is critical to start with this? Because it's important for us to understand Jesus is saying, you're with me or you're not. There's no in-between. There's no in-between. And the point of the parables was for those that were with him could get the deeper meanings of the kingdom as the kingdom was constantly changing the world around them. But those who were not with him but thought they were would miss it entirely. Because you never would have heard the parable if you weren't there with Jesus. But a lot of people misunderstood what those parables mean. Matthew 13, verse 10, When the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And honestly, if you read farther down, you find out they're asking that because they're like, we don't understand this stuff either. And he answered to them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. For the one who has more will be given, and he will have an abundance but from the one who has not even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's hearts has grown dull. This is where I believe many of us are living today in our world. So in other words, parables are for sheep. But goats got the story. They missed the meaning. There's a very clear difference between those who know Christ and those who don't. We do no one any justice by convincing them they know Christ if they don't. But again, this tension, you're going to see a struggle with this. It's it's, it's hard. Is it for us to decide who's a Christian and who is not? Absolutely not. Scripture does tell us we'll know them by their fruits, the way they're living their life. But no, it's not our place to determine whether you're a true Christian or not. I, there are, I have days that I, I am just better on top of my game than others. And you probably do too. There are days I would like to do over. And you probably do too. And certain parts and instances of my life that if people only saw that about me, they would not have good things to say about me. We all have those times But overall, either we are in or we are not. There is great grace when we mess up. But have we truly given our heart to him? What I I love about all of Jesus' calls is that nothing is finite yet. He even says, those of you who don't get the parables... The invitation is still open if you will just open your eyes and accept the gospel and you will turn from your ways I will heal you The invitation's always there but what Jesus did not want you to do was to believe you're in and not be And that's why his teachings would consistently get more and more difficult till the crowds of thousands that would huddle around him would Eventually, walk away because it was too much for them to bear. What do I want to take you from this? Or what do I want you to take from this? Following Jesus will open your eyes to God's kingdom that is all around you. See, there's a kingdom that's intersecting this world consistently. Some people see it; some people don't. I don't mean the paranormal, like ghost stories, you know. Which, is so incredible that we are so fascinated with ghost stories and yet reject the existence of a supernatural God. I find that fascinating. I'm not talking about ghost stories. I'm saying when Jesus was standing on trial and he was accused of being the king of the Jews, he said, "This, my kingdom, my world is not of this world. And what we see is that the kingdom is constantly intersecting this world in a subversive way to come underneath a culture that rejects God and tells you you're healthier without Him. And it comes in and says, No, there is something better. So, how we do that, and how we practice that moving forward. It's going to be a challenge. If you are at a place and you're like, I don't know if I'm a sheep or a goat. I don't know. I come to church, but I don't know which I'm a sheep or a goat. Guess what? The Holy Spirit is given to you so that you can know. He wants you to know. There's a difference between having a bad day and having a life that's still not focused on Christ. But the invitation to turn is always there. Let me ask you this. As you leave today, maybe you need to be thinking about that final judgment. You need to be thinking about, am I a sheep or a goat? Or maybe you're confident, I I am not a perfect Christian, but I do love Christ, and He is the most important thing to me. Maybe that's where you are. If that is, I would ask you to consider this week, what are the indications that Jesus says are the sheep? Are you looking around for opportunities to love others, care for others, meet the need of others? Are you evaluating people not based on what have they done but what do they need? Are you looking to be a person that brings healing to someone or are you standing back making sure everybody knows that somebody screwed up? There's a different way to approach this life and I would encourage you that if you are going to follow Him that means we have the privilege and the opportunity to look for those in need and to care for them. And when you do that Jesus says, it is as if you are directly caring for me. Whenever you're coming and you're here to serve in children's ministry, I'm going to tell you something. I know know how it goes. You've had a hard week. You're tired. The kids argued all the way to church, and then you're supposed to have something to share with these kids that you're ministering to. Maybe it's not kids. Maybe it's students. Maybe it's Uh, your small group and you're like i gotta have something ready for these people and right now all i want to do is crawl in a hole and die or just disappear at least i I mean i I get it but do you look at your opportunity for service as this is ministry to jesus this is ministry to jesus if we have to get an earthly reward for everything we do we're going to burn out because guess what there's not that many rewards But if this is my ministry to Jesus, does that change the way you view your service and you view your time and you view your gift of your resources for others? As we go through this, my prayer for myself and for you is that we would be sheep. I tend to lean to the goat side more than I'd like to admit. But God is still making that call. If you will just reach out to me, if you will turn from your ways, if you will just follow me, I will heal you and make you whole. And we find that what Jesus wanted all along was not for us to participate in religious activities, but what he wanted from us was our hearts to be changed and for us to live in the world differently than the rest of the world lives. That good fruit demonstrates that he has done a change in us. I want you to pray with me. We're going to close. I pray that you will leave here not not discouraged if your life is not exactly the way you think it should be, but hopeful that God is calling you to something specific. If you can fall on the side of the goats and the condemnation of the goats, I pray that you will have the opportunity to instead realize that He's calling you to something better and something different, to healing to hope, to wholeness, and to love. If you're not sure you can do it, well, join the club. That's why we have the Holy Spirit to empower us, to gift us, to motivate us, and to make up for our weaknesses. Look for your opportunity to love others well and recognize that Jesus gave us that example of his death on the cross. Father, God, some of these. Teachings are just difficult, they're difficult to not just understand, but difficult to accept. Father, I pray that those that are in this room, they would would experience you in a way that is transforming, not just an activity. You would be on our hearts and our minds constantly, never-ending throughout the day. You would become our priority, the most important thing in our lives, even more important than our families, more important than our jobs. And that whenever you call and reach out and you give us a calling upon our lives, we will follow faithfully. I pray that you would help us to open our eyes and see what you want us to see rather than just what we want to see. Open our ears to hear what you want us to hear and not just what we want to hear. And Father, I pray that you would help us as we step forward to follow your commands, to be obedient, to submit to your authority. And to know what is true and just about you. Father, I pray for those people that have come to our minds today thinking, I just don't think they know Christ and I'm scared to death they're going to hit that time in their life when time is up and there is a time for judgment, I pray that you would give wisdom and discernment in how to share and care for that person or those people, whether they be family, friends, coworkers, neighbors, people they haven't seen in years, whoever it may be, that they, you would just give wisdom and discernment on how they can care for them, can be a good example for them, can show them the love of Christ in a tangible way that will, will make a difference in their lives. Father, help us to follow you just as the sheep follow the shepherd. So in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.